What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's episode, we have a very special guest, my man Jason Theobald. Jason is a pro uh, bodybuilder, IFBB pro, and he is bringing science to the fitness and nutrition world. Like This guy is on top of his shit. Somebody I have really looked up to for knowledge, for content, for education for actually years now. He is somebody who I started following um, shit, probably four years ago, because I want to say three or four years ago, I actually did my first physique competition. That's when I really got in depth with natural bodybuilding and the the art of aesthetics, essentially. Like, how do we manipulate the body in all these different ways? Because, and that's what's so fascinating about this stuff to me is there's so many different things that we can implement to change our body. It's not just calories, and that's why I respect Jason and I love his content so much. Because he's not just about macros and calories. He goes really in depth on a lot of different strategies, protocols. He owns a supplement company. So we're going to talk a lot about supplements. Um, And some of them are like I would call unorthodox supplements or just supplements that you probably haven't considered when it comes to implementing supplementation for muscle gain, fat loss, so on and so forth. Because he owns a company and he goes really in depth with glucose disposal, digestion, gut health, things like that. you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn a lot about how the body responds to carbohydrates, how the how insulin works, how these things affect how you store fat, how you burn fat, how you build muscle, um, and how to optimize all this stuff. So I'm really excited to bring this interview to you guys because, like I said, he is bringing science into the field, and he's doing it in a way that's actually understandable and applicable. So grab your notepad, get ready to uh, listen and learn from Jason Theobald. Before we get into the show, guys, just want to make a quick announcement. Remember that I am a Patreon, so if you love the show, if you want to support the show, if you want to help me build this show up by producing more content, getting better equipment, reaching more individuals, having better guests on the show, you can donate and support the movement by visiting the link in my profile and going and checking out my Patreon account. Even a dollar a month helps, so anything you feel like this is worth is appreciated. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's get on to the show with Jason Theobald. Jason, let's uh, let's just start with your story, man. Like, kind of give the listeners a brief overview of why you do what you do today, how you got into natural bodybuilding. Okay, so let's see um, how I got into bodybuilding. So I was just kind of like my first love was soccer, and um, I, you know, was was a smaller kid, and it kind of affected me as I got older. Ended up playing D three probably could have done better if I was a bigger kid, but you know, that's how it goes. And I got into the soccer and the coaches, you know, I made varsity first year, but the coaches said you weren't big enough. And so my dad had been bugging me for years to hit the weights. He had been into bodybuilding. He never competed, but he had some good muscle on him. And finally I heard enough and I started doing it and my body responded really quickly um, to the weights it's not like I got huge, but like everyone definitely noticed my arms filling out, you know, I was filling out shirts better and I got a lot leaner faster. You know, I was finally walking around with abs. And so it was very addicting. Um, and you know, having the athletic background, I really liked training and liked sweating and liked working hard. Um, and so, you know, when I got out of college, I still never thought I was going to compete. But some guys in the gym were like, hey, man, you should you should compete. How much do you weigh? And I told them, like, yeah, you look bigger, but, you know, you can fit into the Bantam class and blah, blah, blah. So I did it, and I did well um, for the most part. And um, the rest was history. I just – once I did my first show, I just uh, wanted to keep getting better and better. And then um, the way I got into coaching – 
you know, nowadays with social media, a lot of people can make that decision where, you know, I want to be a coach and they're going to pursue it that way. But that really didn't happen for me. Um, I, you know, had, we had message boards. They were very prominent back then. And um, I had been posting some of my, you know, what I was doing and how I was doing it and getting better results. And um, I actually ended up getting, just because of uh, some of the transformations I made in, in my own physique, people locally started asking me, hey, what did you do? How did you do that? I hear you're eating more carbs. And, you know, the big thing in my area was really low carb and high fat, and that didn't work for my body. And so when some people were starting to hear how I was doing it, they wanted to do it. And I just prepped them for free. But I was taking guys who were perennial, you know, second place finishers, and they're getting overalls. They're getting first place now. And so it kind of grew, and it got to the point where I was doing it for free, but <clears throat> they were buying supplements from me when they'd come to the house. And it got to the point where, you know, there would be 10, 15 people coming in my house on Sundays. And, um, you know, my wife was like, let's, let's make this a business or, you know, let's kind of back off this. You're, you're busy all Sunday. Um, so we made it a business and we started slow, $200 of prep and, you know, it kind of built from there. People, you know, were like, wow, the amount of service you give and the care and the passion you put into this, you're way undervaluing yourself, um, blah, blah, blah. And it, it kind of grew organically from there. So, um, you know, I, I got into the business at a good time. I've been doing this 10 years. I was a lawyer for 15, um, I was an in-house counsel, so I didn't have to bill hours so I could do client work at, uh, client work at my legal job if there wasn't anything else that needed to be done. So, um, it kind of allowed me to build that business without being stressed of, you know, paying bills and all those things. So that's kind of the nut and bolts and, and how I got to where I'm, you know, how I'm a coach now. And I, I quit the, um, legal job in December. I could have quit it probably five or six years ago, to be honest with you, but um, it wasn't that hard of a job. And I, I knew the skill that I needed very well because I only had one client. And so I just kept them both. But um, I turned 40 uh, in January and it was time. It was time to only do uh, my passion in life and um, law wasn't it. So now I'm just a full-time coach. I own a supplement company called New Ethics and that's growing very rapidly. And, um, that's kind of where I'm at right now, man. That's actually really surprising that you just recently quit that job. I mean, I saw you speak at the physique summit, I think probably two yeah. years ago. Yeah. And I still had that job then. That's crazy. I actually, on, the, on the way to that physique summit, I was on phone for about two hours negotiating a deal for the company that I was uh, in-house counsel to during <laughs> that whole drive down. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. I would not expect that because you just, I mean, if anybody's familiar with your work, you go really in depth with everything you do. You're extremely knowledgeable. So that's awesome to hear. And it's, uh, I'm glad you went full time, man. That's cool. Yeah. Um, let's get right into the nitty gritty stuff, man. I want to really kind of pick your brain on all things fat loss essentially. So my sure. first question would be, when you get a client, whether they are a, a physique athlete, bodybuilder, bikini, whatever, or it's just a general person trying to get their leanest physique, what yep. are the most common mistakes you see with men and women like coming to you with nutrition? Okay. So, or training. Yeah. No. So <clears throat> I can give you a few, but you know, there's going to be a lot, but you know, I'll give you a few. And if you want to like get more uh, into detail on those, definitely we can. So let's talk about women. Uh, the biggest mistake I see when women come to me is honestly, they're just not ready to cut because they're eating way too low of caloric intake. I will get a 130 pound woman tell me she's eating 13 to 1500 calories. And yet she wants me to now figure out how to make her body lose body fat. 
Well, you're already down to 10 times your, your body weight. And, um, I don't have a whole lot of room there. I mean, you know, we know that, uh, you need about a 500 caloric deficit, uh, daily to burn a pound of fat. Um, so that's one of the biggest mistakes I see women making and they kind of get caught in this like diet, um, circle or, you know, where they, you know, if they start up in their calories and they see two pounds come on, oh, they lower the calories again and they go back in this yo-yo phase and without someone just sitting there finally being like, listen, you've got to get up to about 2,100 or 2,000 daily, get yourself healthy. This cut is not going to work. So that's one big mistake I see women make. Um, on the flip side, a lot of times when men come to me, they just aren't tracking anything. They know they're eating and they're eating enough. So I can usually go right into the cut. But a lot of times they've ruined their insulin sensitivity by just pounding food and they've been trying to just get big and they don't understand why they don't look like the, the bodybuilder on Instagram and, you know, they're eating all this food and, you know, and I'm like, well, here's the thing, you know, you're, you're eating too much for your size. Um, you know, you, if we just cut you down and take 30 pounds off you and they're like, oh my God, you know, I'm going to be a stick. I'm like, you'll look like that guy on Instagram. Um, you know, like that person might only weigh a buck 60, but they just look huge to you because they're shredded. Um, so men usually overeat, women undereat. Uh, as far as training, most of the time, it's, it's the same. Everyone's training too often. You know, a lot of times I'll get women and they're training seven days a week and they wonder why they have bad digestion and they're stuck in metabolic compensation. I mean, their body's just in perpetual sympathetic uh, nervous system overdrive. And so a lot of times I have to like pull people back to four days a week and, you know, they cringe, even though I'm an IFBB pro and that's all I'm training right now and I'm getting bigger. Um, so, you know, it, it's a lot of too much training, not enough food on the women's side, a lot of times too much training, too much food on the men's side. And then some people fall in the middle, but you know, those are the most common mistakes I see. So with those individuals, cause I get a lot of people in the same realm where they want to lose 10 to 20 pounds and they're in between that eight to 10 times their body weight calories already. And then you're kind of at this point where you have to reverse them. Obviously what's the buy-in for that? Like what's the longevity, the length of the process? How do you go about doing that? Okay. So, you know, a lot of times with those, so when I have a client sign up, they fill out not only like a typical bodybuilding or just physique um, questionnaire, they also fill out what's called a metabolic stress questionnaire. And that really goes into all the body processes like brain function, um, skin, digestion, um, mood. Um, all those different things. So I'm, I'm a, a nine out of 10. If someone's stuck and they're not losing fat, that's why they're seeking me out. There's a little bit of already metabolic compensation going on there where, you know, some people call it metabolic damage. I don't like the word damage, um, but their body is compensated for the low calories. And in doing so, a lot of times digestion's down, uh, hormones are down. So when I see that red flag, I actually make people get blood work. And that way I can pretty much show them like, look, here's why. And this is how long about this is going to take based on, you know, my experience. And so a lot of times, you know, I'm not only fixing digestion and hormones, as I'm going along and feeding them up, I think in the industry, 
a lot of people think that you can just feed someone up and that's going to fix them all. And it's not. A lot of these hormones need a little more kick in the pants with certain supplements um, and things along those lines to get progesterone going again, to get cortisol down. You know, I'll use my Cordy supplement under New Ethics. They might be estrogen dominant. I'll use my EstroCort. So there's a lot of things going on that I have to fix as I'm feeding someone up rather than just um, feeding it is the only line. So as far as the buy-in, once they see the blood work and they kind of, and I kind of explain to them what's going on, most people at that point have been so beaten down and frustrated that they're, they're all in and they do exactly as I, as I ask. I love that, dude. It really comes down to education, right? If you can show yes. them yes. data, it makes it so much better. So um, this is kind of a side note. We're going to get into the supplements later on in the podcast, but is this what got you into, because I saw you do functional medicine as well, yes. which is, is yes. not very common in the bodybuilding world for somebody yes. to do. Is that what led you down that path? So how I got into that path was my business partner, Vince Pitstick of Nutrition Dynamic, that's a lot of what he does. And so we combined forces on the supplement line because I didn't just want another bodybuilder supplement line. You know, we're, we're performance meets like health and we blend them. So um, once I saw what he did and was able to fix people out of metabolic comp and him and I went to a seminar, um, it was a functional medicine seminar. And after I sat and listened to these guys, I'm like, wow, like this is a missing piece for me and my coaching. So then I signed up and took a 48-hour course that was in uh, Minnesota, and I flew there five times this winter uh, to learn it. So I, I've been heavily invested between, you know, hotel stays and, you know, airfare and just course of the uh, cost of the course. But uh, it's been excellent for my business because now um, I can get people – healthy. I can build the foundation for them to make the cut successful, which in turn makes me successful and, you know, only furthers my business and everyone's happy because, you know, rather than having that failure rate where you try to only feed someone up and you really didn't understand how to boost the hormones and different things. Now I'm getting them truly healthy and then their cuts are working better. So it was kind of one of those things where I saw what Vince was doing and I was like, man, I got to learn this. So um, and I'm still learning. Um, my business partner, if I get a difficult, difficult case, I just send them to him. Um, you know, and he does the same with me when it comes to like high level athletes who want prep. We, we kind of know where our, where our, you know, the, the, the end of our rope is. And, um, but that's how I got into it. Just seeing what he was doing and realizing that it was kind of the missing piece to kind of make my coaching come full circle. That's so huge, man. I think that with all the research coming out with gut health and just hormones and just knowledge around like hormonal, like you said, compensation, I love that word, a hormonal uh, adaption and stuff, metabolic yeah. adaption. It's so huge. So let's say you have a client that isn't in this hormonal yep. downlet regulated place. They're, they come to you at maintenance and they yep. are looking for to get lean. What's your first step? That's a good question. If they're healthy and they're at maintenance, I'll go ahead and let them uh, cut. I'll, I'll go. I don't. I don't worry about you know pushing them up into a huge surplus or anything. I will go ahead and start the cut. But you know, let's let you know. I will examine. Well, how are their macros set up? Are their macros set up right for, in my opinion, their body type? You know, I I find that ectomorphs do better with lower fat, putting more into the carbs and moderate protein. I find that endomorphs do better with more fat and maybe just putting the carbs around training. So I might not even first off 
cut them, I might just readjust their macros. And now I know that this gets into a discussion of there's tons of guys out there who say calories in and calories out. It doesn't matter how you eat those macros. And I totally disagree. And I've seen that it does matter in my practicing of nutrition. So I might start there and just get their macros right for their body, getting them in a little hit cardio. A lot of people aren't doing any hit. And I find that it works excellent to just get the metabolic machinery moving. So that really might be my first step right away. But, but the, the general answer is if someone's at maintenance and they're healthy and there's no red flags, I'll go ahead and try to cut them and see if we can uh, get them where they want to go rather than waste their time and their money uh, building them up to a 2,200 calorie surplus. Um, you know, but that's me. Some coaches might be like, oh, you're only at maintenance. I'm going to add. I'm going to make you add, you know, 500 over. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying for me, I would go ahead and try to cut them. I'm really happy to have a pro bodybuilder on the show say that it's not all about calories because I think that especially with, if we just consider lifestyle, like why not try to play with all these things, whether it's macro ratios or meal timing or just yep. differentiating things so they don't have to lower calories and still get that result. 100%. Why not? Exactly. Yeah. So um, let's, let's go into uh, a little bit more specific with you are going to cut their calories. Are you somebody that's going to take a more aggressive approach? Are you somebody that likes to just pull like 5% of calories and take, take a very easy approach? What's yep. your style? Yep. So I generally will probably create about a 250 calorie deficit from uh, their, their food intake. And, you know, it's going to depend on, you know, how much protein are they doing, how much of this, you know, because I might be able to pull from different macros, but in general, it'll be about 200 to 250 calorie decrease. So I don't know if that's aggressive or not, but it's, you know, maybe there's some coaches who only pull a hundred, but I'm going to go ahead and get them rolling, but then I'm going to add that hit cardio in too. So, you know, I'm going to easily create that 500 caloric deficit per day that I think they need to be at on average. I am not going to put hit in every day. But on average, as you level it out, and I take over training, um, I'm, I like hypertrophy. So, you know, if someone's trying to, um, you know, lean out, I'm probably put them on five days of training. They're going to have a little more reps, a little more sets than what they were probably doing in general. Um, so I'm doing about 250 from calories. You're going to get some from the training. You're going to get some from the cardio that I'm going to schedule in for you. And then from there, I'm just going to, you know, see how they do each week and, and, and adjust as they go. Do you feel like certain people have a, uh, like a calorie, almost like a calorie set point where they finally start losing? Like, I know I experienced this where I brought my carbs all the way up to just barely under 400 grams. I think I was at 390 and I was maintaining my weight fine. But in order for me to actually start cutting, I can't just pull yes. you know, 200 calories. I have to get past a certain like threshold yep. before I start burning. What is that about? Well, okay. So 100%, I see that all the time. So there's a scenario where you've got the person and you're working with them off season and you just, you, you're able to add and add and add and add food. And I've got a client like this right now and maybe you know him and I don't think he would mind me saying his name, Austin Stout. The guy can eat 4,000, 4,500 calories in the off season and stay pretty lean. But right now he's on bikini macros to cut. And that, you know, that's not where we went right away. But um, what happens is there's two things going on. Some people are just highly adaptive metabolism. So they would, they would do extremely well on a deserted island. So what I mean by highly adaptive is when you add calories, their body up adjusts to it. So you don't see them gain a ton of weight like other people would. 
But as you lower calories, their body adapts to it very fast as well and lowers the thyroid, lowers the hormones. So you're constantly having to pull and get them lower. So what happened, because they adapt, they're technically way further above than what their quote-unquote true maintenance would be. So yes, I've seen a lot of people where you have to pull like that. Number two, what could be happening is, this is where I'm one of the coaches who track my clients' um, fasting blood glucose. They could literally make themselves insulin insensitive. I mean, on 400 carbs, I don't know if you've tracked your uh, fasted uh, blood readings, but if you're over 100, good luck trying to really cut fat. You know, you need to stay between 72 and 85, stay insulin sensitive, and then those cuts seem to work a little better. But if, you know, if that 400 has driven you over a fasted of 100, well, you're in a pre-diabetic state. So now your insulin sensitivity and your muscle partitioning and all those things, nutrient partitioning and all those things are, are kind of screwed up. So you're really not going to see fat loss happening until you get into a deficit because science tells us most people have to get into a deficit to reset their sensitivity. And so that there could be both of those things going on in people. So would you, in both of those scenarios, I guess, I got two things that came to mind. Number one is make more of an aggressive approach with like kind of uh, like diet breaks more frequently just to make sure that you're not constantly in a deficit, but you have to go right into that big deficit just to get things moving. And then the other thing that came to mind was the recent Matador study of doing like alternate weeks of very low calories to try to get that fat loss happening without having to stay in a chronic deficit for too long. Well, I'll tell you what I do. I'm not saying anything that you propose there is wrong, but so like I said, I track these numbers and I know where my people are, but let's say someone came to me and I don't know, and I didn't have time to really reset them. I will about four weeks pre-cut, cut about half of their carbs or more, put most of it into fats and protein, and literally reset their insulin sensitivity. Then as I start the diet, I will take all those calories back out of the, the fats and put them back into carbs and lower the fats and then start from there. And then those people seem to zoom and do really well. So I like to reset the insulin sensitivity before the diet. And I find then that things work way better. That's how I do it. I've actually, I've been seeing in, in a lot of the stuff I've been seeing, it's been coming from you. And then you recently did stuff, some stuff with IN3 and Jason Phillips. And so yep. you have all them on the blood glucose stuff too. But can you give, for anybody who doesn't know what you're talking about, can you just give a brief like kind of definition sure. of what you're talking about, how to test that? So insulin sensitivity, I should define. And it basically is, it means that your body is very receptive, very sensitive to your own insulin uh, release for the own insulin and your insulin what it does is it's like a key and it opens your cells up to to receive glucose so when you're not sensitive the cells are staying locked and that blood sugar is uh, staying in the in the in the blood which is very unhealthy for inflammation in your organs but it's also very bad because then your body keeps pushing more insulin to finally get it to see and you're going to be more likely to store more body fat so if you're sitting in an ins insulin insensitive position to start your prep, your nutrient partitioning is poor, and you're not really gonna be putting those carbs. So if you start at 400 and only pull 50 or 60, which is a very common pool, that's 200 to 250 cows, uh, because you're still in an insulin sensitive, insensitive position, 350 of those carbs are still not finding a good home. So fat loss, because all the insulin that just has to keep being pushed out is gonna be next to nothing. So 
what you can do is to combat this is you can have a glucometer, you get them at CVS or whatever your local pharmacy is, you get your testing strips from the pharmacist, you can take your fasted blood glucose and you'll find out where you're at. And the American Diabetic Association has said anything over 100, you're in a pre-diabetic range. It doesn't mean you're going to get diabetes. It just means you're living in a pre-diabetic uh, situation for now. Anything I say from, I say about 72 to 85 are really good numbers. Um, I like to see mine about high 70s to start my diet. And you can track these all year. So, you know, I can keep, I usually keep myself sensitive all year because I know how to use glucose disposal agents, which are certain supplements that, uh, you know, mimic or insulin mimetics and they help your body be more sensitive. And I, I do carb timing. Uh, I don't eat carbs past seven, not because I believe it's always going to turn to fat, but because I believe that there's benefit from carb fasting until maybe 10 a.m. the next day. I'm still eating protein and fats, but I'm just carb fasting. So all these things you can do to keep yourself insulin sensitive. So I rarely have to do these big mini cuts that a lot of people do. They can avoid a lot of this if they just tracked it and kind of pulled done all the things they need to do to keep themselves more insulin sensitive into their diet. So that's how you can track it and why I find find it important so so in in that kind of situation what is i mean what's your first go-to for the average individual who you feel like you need to reset that are you going towards like intermittent fasting going keto um it sounds like you're not even shifting calories too much it's really just a, a just a ratio or a partitioning type of thing um so some people can get away with just cutting their carbs in about half or 60 percent and putting it into fats some people can do that but a lot of people have to end up in a deficit you don't always have to go keto for someone, but I do have people that are very, very stubborn and to get it moving, you do have to go keto. A lot of people, once you cut the carbs by 60%, will go ahead and drop. So okay. it's going to depend how the, you to watch it as either the person themselves or the coach and to kind of figure out. But my first move is normally just to cut carbs by like 60%. So one thing that kind of keeps popping up in my head as you're going over this stuff is I know we've just like literally just scratched the surface of different strategies you implement to get results that have nothing to do with cutting calories. Right. Do you get like flack for this or like have to argue with the guys who do just believe it's all calories in versus calories out? I don't get much flack um, because <clears throat> I'll be honest with you. I put out what I believe and you know, I, 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 I don't, go on message boards or I don't go into, you know, Facebook groups and look to argue with people. Um, I know it works for my clients and I'm one of those coaches who try to stay out of the drama and I just put out information and if people don't like it, that's great, but I'm not ever really sitting there arguing over people and nor do I seek out those people who think that it's simply cows in, cows out. And if you want to eat, you know, mostly fats in your diet or you know mostly ice cream is your carb it doesn't matter as long as you're you know i i just don't seek them out to argue with them good i think that's that's a sign of a good coach man so um let's let's go into the next thing i had listed here which was cardio you've gone through the nutrition you've implemented a little bit of hit some training some uh, obviously tweaking macros and calories and stuff on this cut at what point do you decide to add in extra cardio? And, and I know something you've talked about recently is fasted cardio as well, which is kind of like a bro thing, but something I yep. actually really, really like. So I'm glad that you talk about it. Um, can you explain when you feel it's right to start adding these things in? Yes. So usually, like I said, <clears throat> immediately right away, 
when I make a cut on someone, I like to do some new, some from nutrition, um, some from training and, and a little from cardio. So my first cardio setup might be literally 20 minutes of walking fasted and one hit by five intervals post-workout a week. And that's where I'll start. And I will ride that train as long as I can. But usually as I go along, a lot of times I might pull 20 to 30 carbs and add 10 minutes of lists. And so, you know, it's not much. And as I go, you know, let's say we're at um, three by 30 lists. Well, the next move will be three by 40. So I don't have a, a, I don't have a template where it's like, okay, last time I pulled food, this is only going to be a cardio. Like it's a judgment call based on, you know, do we have a lot still left to pull from the diet? Well, maybe I'm just going to do that rather than put them on cardio. And then other times you're looking and you're like, man, the carbs are getting low for this time of prep. I really want them to still get a nice training response. I really think at this point we need to just put in some more lists. It's easier on the body. They're at least going to have their carbs for training and get that. Cause you know, <clears throat> if you get the carbs too low too early, you worry about their metabolism stalling out. You worry about them having a, a response from training I like to know that they're getting a response. So it's kind of a feel that you get from doing this a long time. I don't have a 100% formula or template to give, but most of my cardio moves are like, okay, add 10 minutes of list to all your sessions, or I might add like one more hit. So like the next move would be like two by five. And then once I get there, I might be like, all right, two by eight, and let's add 10 minutes of list. So they're little adjustments as I go but I don't have a template on when to do it exactly. Are you more likely to add in some cardio so you can save as many calories as possible? Or are you the opposite where you would rather not do any cardio and just pull from calories? I would rather have a balance. Okay. I'm more balanced. I don't tend to one more side, but I can reiterate, like I said, if I'm getting to a point where I feel like carbs would be too low for that point in prep, and they're not going to be getting a good train response, I will definitely just go ahead with the more cardio. I love it. I think anytime you practice good coaching, I think it's always balanced. I don't think there's ever a solid answer. It's always, it depends, right? So I, I'm glad to hear that you don't have templates. Um, let's dig into supplements, man. You are somebody who is extremely knowledgeable. I mean, you have your own supplement line. I would love to kind of pick your brain on some specific supplements. And the okay. first one I have on my list is GDAs, glucose yeah. disposal agents, because I know you're big on that. Can you yeah. explain to the listener what that is, why it's so important, yeah. what you recommend sure. people use? Sure. So a GDA is a glucose disposal agent and you would use them uh, with your carb meals. And basically it's to improve your body's response to its own insulin. Now, some of them make you more insulin sensitive. Some of them actually make you release more insulin and some of them actually mimic insulin. Um, but at the end of the day, they're all kind of doing the same job, which is to hopefully help you get more um, <clears throat> carbs into the muscle. Now, I will say that one of the drawbacks from the over-the-counter GDAs is whereas like metformin is glycogen-specific, um, the over-the-counters could cause fats to also be shuttled. They're just going to improve uh, the driver, the, the, the push of the foods. So they're not specific only to glycogen like metformin. Uh, but metformin, as we know, is a prescription and the other ones are over the counter. Um, so one, that's one, that's one drawback that you'll help people make an argument on against. So I always like to just throw that out there. 
But at the end of the day, you are certainly keeping your blood sugar down. You're certainly keeping the, the need to release more insulin down. And glycation, which is the process of, you know, turning, you know, the foods we eat into glucose and, and, and seeding them is, is an aging process. It really does age people. So if you can control this over time, not only are you going to stay healthier, you're going to have less body inflammation. You're going to be able to stay leaner. You're going to stay drier uh, because the carbs are, are finding a place quicker and easier and they're not staying circulated. So you're not going to have as much water retention on the body. Um, so I'm a big, I'm a big proponent in them. Um, berberine is probably one of the best ones out there right now. Um, there was a study that it's damn near close to, uh, metformin. Um, so that's pretty powerful. Um, and it also increases the metabolism at rest like metformin does, which is pretty cool. Um, so the product that I use is my own and it's a, I know it's a shameless plug, but I mean, I designed it, I developed it. Um, I did have help from my partner Vince on that one. Um, and it's a mix of the proper vitamins you need to be insulin sensitive. So it really hits the foundation first before you clobber it with, we've got RALA, we've got berberine, we've got chromium polynicotinate in it. And, um, we've got other, uh, as well, Genema Sylvester, which is really good at, uh, helping sugar cravings, uh, decrease. So we've put like a, a, a comprehensive formula together and, you know, for me, it's, it's a no brainer and it's the one that we can't keep stocked. We keep running out. It's so popular. Um, so that's a little background on GDAs. Um, I will say that I use them a lot for loading as well. When someone's peaking for a show or an event, um, because you want to get the glucose where you can and you want to try to keep the body drier and all those things will, will, will help you with, um, I'm trying to think, Oh, so there's a little debate going on, like, you know, do you need it pre-workout? Do you need it post? Um, I would give my two cents on that. I think that you don't need one post, and I've told a lot of my clients that for years. Re reason being, training is, you know, going to increase uh, um, sensitivity big time. Uh, you got your glute 4 translocation happening. You got all these things going on that you really don't need one post. Um, I've seen some really good coaches argue that you don't need it pre, but my opinion is, especially in a cut, you know, you're going to eat probably two hours before. And so that's two hours before you ever get to training to try to push those carbs where they need to be. So I'm going to use it uh, pre-workout, at least in a cut, maybe not in an off season if someone needs to save a little cash, but certainly any other time you slam down carbs and it's not around training, it's very beneficial to use um, for, like I said, staying leaner, but also from a health standpoint over the, the your life. I love it. I'm glad you plugged it because I was going to mention it. I've, it's actually something that I personally take and I've recommended to multiple clients. So um, I'm all about your product, man. Um, one question on all that. Is there any natural GDAs that people can be taking with food, things like cinnamon or apple cider vinegar? Oh, yeah. That's a good question. That? Yep. No, 100%. It's a good, it's a really good question. So cinnamon does work. I will tell you that I don't think with the amount of cinnamon you can put in, a, in your oats or on your chicken, I don't know if any of you have done that, but it's actually pretty tasty, is going to have nearly the impact that, you know, taking a product that's built around berberine or, you know, things of that nature. But it definitely, definitely can be a benefit. And I include cinnamon, like I said, on chicken and turkey. And I definitely put it in my oats and my cream of rice. So there's no drawback from using some cinnamon. Um, and also, as you said, apple, uh, apple cider vinegar. 
I use it mainly for my digestion because I tend to be a little lower in uh, stomach acid due to, I believe, kind of being type A and just a little more high strung. So I'm a little more SNS dominant. And when you're kind of more SNS dominant, you're not producing as much stomach acid because your body's always kind of like ready for flight or fight. Um, so I use it for that. But apple cider vinegar is also known to help with sugar um, processing and things of that nature. So that one is also a good one. And it's a really good one where you're like, you're getting better skin from it. You're getting better digestion and you're also getting that. So, you know, anytime you can do something like that, hell, I, I think, yeah, throw those in as well. What let's go into probiotics. I mean, we're speaking about digestion and, and I know your partner sounds like he's pretty well versed in this, this topic. Yeah. Do you suggest probiotics? You've mentioned digestive enzymes and stuff like that before. What are your yeah. thoughts on all this? Yep. So I do recommend probiotics and I take one daily myself. Um, I've always been one of those guys with kind of, you know, not the greatest digestive tract, especially if you're trying to push food. So I usually, um, for myself and for a lot of my clients who have, you know, the typical bloating gas from, from just trying to eat more food to build a body. Um, here's my, my usual three. Uh, it'll be a probiotic. I use Metagenics um, Spectrum because it's got uh, seven or eight of, uh, of the uh, probiotics, so it covers a really nice gamut, and so I use that one. Um, I add either betaine hydrochloric or apple cider vinegar. I just do the apple cider vinegar tabs, and um, I've also added pancreatin enzyme to help with protein and carb digestion. So that's my big three um, for just like, you know, if you have the typical bloating and gas, and, you know, just feeling full from, from the typical bodybuilding cows that you need to support your training. Love it, man. Exactly up my alley of what I recommend too. Um, the next thing I have on my list is L-carnitine. I actually heard you speak of this on a seminar you did uh, for yeah. Jason Phillips Inner Circle. And that's something that I haven't heard of a lot of people taking in a long time, but um, you kind of piqued my interest on it. I've been reading into it a lot lately. What are your thoughts on that and how do you use it? So L-carnitine is a fat transport and that's awesome because, you know, when you're, when you're doing your list cardio, it's going to help or even hit, you know, both training, anything. It's going to help to, you know, shuttle the fats to be used as energy because the, carb the, the, the cardio might liberate it, but you still have to be able to use it as usable energy. And the L-carnitine helps uh, speed up that process. Now, one of the drawbacks that people will say is that L-carnitine is um, – you don't, you don't die. You only die just about, excuse me. You only die just about 40% of it or 40% of it becomes uh, usable. Well, so what I do is I just tell my clients to take two grams of it. And if you're getting about 50%, that's still a gram. And all the science and literature says anywhere from 800 milligrams is going to do big beneficial for fat loss. So I just have them double it up and I will take it pre fasted list and pre any hit cardio and or training. So it'll be like 1.5 to two grams morning, 1.5 to two grams uh, pre, pre-workout or any hit that you're doing later in the day. And um, I think it's a, you know, I think it's a, it's a good supplement to use for that, for that nature of, of fat loss, fat transportation. Um, so I include it in all my um, people's programs. Is there a certain time you need to take that before you train? for it to actually well, be kicking in and I, yeah i mean what i if i'm be, if i'm really splitting hairs what i do in the morning um, when i'm getting ready for a show is i will put the pills that i want to take whether it's any stimulants 
um, things of that nature, you know, him, me, I'll put it all on my nightstand and set my alarm and then I'll hit snooze twice and, um, I'll take it and then hit snooze twice. That's about 18 minutes. And by the time you get up, use the restroom, et cetera, you've had it in you about 25 to 30 minutes. And that should be, you know, able to be fairly digested at that point and into the bloodstream by the time you really get cracking on your, uh, on your cardio. Perfect. Yo, Himbean, you just mentioned that. And that was actually one of mine on the list. What there's a lot of, I mean, there's research on it. And then there's a lot of people that argue constantly about going back and forth. Um, is that something you use as well? Okay. So here's my stance on Yohimbean. I, if someone can take it and not be riddled with anxiety, then I love it. If it causes them a lot of anxiety, I, I, I just keep it excluded. I'm one of those people who get a lot of anxiety from it. So the way I use it is I will use it in topical fat burn formulas, say like on the lower back or on the glutes or on the hamstrings. And it doesn't get as systematic as it does as if you swallow it. You'll get a little bit systematic but you can handle it. So the answer is yes, I love Yohimbean. It just depends on, it depends on the way it should be delivered to you based on your chemistry. The other thing is it really should be taken with lower insulin uh, levels. So fasted is the best time to use it, but I still will save some for my clients pre-workout because most people you know, they eat an hour and a half before, maybe two hours. So their insulin levels really should be returning almost to baseline because at that point, you're pretty insulin sensitive from dieting hard. And so you really shouldn't have your insulin levels much higher, you know, two hours pre-workout than they are when you wake up in the morning. So, you know, a lot of people say that's useless, but I've found to put some morning and pre. And the dose I would start out with, honestly, I would just take 2.5 mg and see how you feel and do and then build up from there. You can take, um, I got this wrong the other day when I was telling someone, you can take uh, per, per 10 pounds, you can take one milligram. So if you're a 170 pound person, you could take 17 milligrams. Got it. So uh, going off that, if somebody is not tracking their blood glucose and they are insulin resistant, do you find that Yohimbine is purpose? Like it has no purpose because of that? And are there any other supplements that would fall into that category? It's probably not going to work very well for them because, you know, they're waking up in the morning with, you know, blood glucose levels high. So their insulin's constantly trying to take care of that. And they're going to be even more elevated all day because if you, if you've ever tested, uh, two and a half hours postprandial on someone who's insulin insensitive, a lot of times they're still at 140, 160 when they should be back to, you know, like a, a healthy 80, something like that. So yeah, it's probably going to be rendered fairly useless, but fat loss in general is going to be rendered fairly useless on that person as well. Anyways. Right. And that would probably apply to L-carnitine as well. L-carnitine. Well, I don't know that it would because, you know, it would still get into the bloodstream. It's just, it's not going to have as much fat that's liberated just because of the high insulin levels, you know, make it harder to burn body fat. Got so kind of useless because there'll just be less fat that's been liberated to be kind of processed over and used as fuel. Okay. So the last one on my list, and we're going to wrap things up here soon would be intro workout nutrition period. So this could be cyclic dextrin, which is a pretty yep. popular one for a lot of people to do intro yep. or post-workout, BCAs, creatine, a lot of things that kind of, again, go back and forth in the industry. So what is your intro workout or peri-workout uh, nutrition yep. like and what do you yep. recommend? So, so around the workout, I'm, I'm big on that just because it helps you stay leaner to kind of, I, I personally myself right now, I'm about 70% of my daily carb intake are pre-intra and post. Um, 
And a lot of my clients will end up falling that way too. So pre, I generally like something like that's going to digest very easily, like jasmine rice, basmati, cream of rice, rice cakes. Those are my big go-tos. Um, intra-workout, the way I set that up, I usually do carbolin is a good one. Uh, the cyclodextrins are fine too, but they're more, they're a little pricier. Um, but I understand the science with them being, you know, readily digested and they're just directly in, but carbolin works pretty well too. Um, I do extra citrulline. I have a product called essential energy with EAA and BCAA and citrulline and keto salt. So I'll take my carbolin. I dump it into that with two scoops. I add a little extra citrulline to it, add 10 grams of creatine. And I go, I don't, I don't spend the extra money on the, um, I don't know, the pre-digested protein. I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, Pepto Pro, I know. Yeah, I don't spend extra money on it. I just load up on the BCAAs uh, with the EAA because all the research is pointing to that being more anabolic. <clears throat> and that's how we designed our product. And, um, and so I'm getting about 50 to 60 grams of carbs intra. And then post, I usually, I like something crunchy. So I'll usually hit maybe three or four of those uh, Lindbergh uh, rice cakes that have almost 20 grams of carbs. And then um, I might hit a little bit of uh, oats with it. So I get a little fast and a little slower because that's going to usually be my last carb feeding around 7 p.m. And then I do all proteins and fats. And then I fast until about 11 a.m. the next day when I reintroduce uh, some protein and carbs. Um, so that's my pair. That's my pair of basically workouts uh, routine, and that's generally what I um, ask of most of my clients who are kind of at that level. I have to trust that someone is training hard enough to use intra workout before I usually give it to them, because I have seen it backfire. Someone just doesn't train hard enough. It can you know start to accumulate fat that you just don't need. Right, hundred percent, man. So much knowledge and information around supplementation. I'm really glad we went down that rabbit hole because it's something that nobody has really touched on like this, at least not in this depth on the podcast. So I appreciate that. And man, I just appreciate you being on the show. So before we sign off, where can everybody find all your stuff? Because I know you have a lot to offer. Yeah. So uh, I I would love it if you hit me up on uh, Instagram. I post a lot of my clients, uh, a lot of before and afters and just preps and pictures of them going through prep and things of that. And I'll also discuss um, you know, some, some nutrition stuff and throw out some supplement stuff. So follow me there at Scooby prep one underscore I F B B pro. And then, um, my Facebook is just my name, Jason Theobald. And then, um, my email is Jason at Scooby prep.com. And then new ethics is, uh, our website for our supplement line N U E T H I X.com. And we sell that on uh, there, but we also sell it at Tiger Fitness and we sell it at nattynutrition.com as well. Perfect, man. Well, once again, thank you for coming on the show. All right. I think so. I appreciate it, Cody. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the all-inclusive guide to 
<laughs> to mastering your diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.